recording started. Hi, Jonathan. How are you? Jason, I'm well. So this conversation that we're about to have kind of started um, uh, over my response to an Elon Musk tweet, as far as I can think of it. Um, and he was mentioning something along the lines of governments are a sadness factory, I think was the exact quote. And I responded to this with something along the lines of uh, the, commod the commodification of happiness has led to more disastrous results than anything ever. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then there's a majority of themes in there and there's a whole bunch of other stuff we can unpack. Uh, and then you and I started having a conversation about, uh, specifically about the commodification of people. But then you brought up the sports angle. Um, which is something that I always is always in the background. I'm not a huge sports person. Um, I grew up watching hockey. Um, you know, I did love team sports, and then I started getting to more into MMA and fighting and boxing and stuff. And then I think over the last few years, I've just kind of um, abandoned sports in terms of you know I used to watch hockey a lot, you know, and get really into the Montreal Canadiens. I'm from Montreal, so it was it was a big cultural thing and then i just uh, i think about five years ago just realized like, i just don't have the energy or the interest anymore it's kind yeah. of gotten to a point where the money ruined the sport mm -hmm. and uh so that's so i think there's a lot of interesting things to be talked about there uh you sent me some stuff that you're working on um uh which i think is uh interesting because you're more on the inside of all that so tell the people uh, who and what you do, uh, who are you, yeah. who you are and what you do. And then we can, we can go from there. Well, uh, my name is Jonathan Hemingway. I am uh, a farmer now, as a matter of fact, um, grow cut flowers with, uh, with my wife. I, I was an educator, uh, for 14 years, basketball coach, um, social studies teacher. And, uh, right around 2014, a, a good friend of mine, years back he had he had started a um a youth basketball company in which he was running tournaments and camps and uh started like a, a scouting service for college coaches and he took me on and i worked for him uh for about seven years full time and um you know so basketball basketball has really been a part of my life um i, I as far back as i can remember like third grade or something like that um Unfortunately, I uh, only grew to be like five foot six tall. So, you know, professional sports or even collegiate sports wasn't really in my uh, DNA future. Uh, but but I did have the opportunity to work for who I would say one of the most influential basketball coaches that maybe most mainstream fans had never heard of, Don Meyer uh, in uh, Nashville, Tennessee, Lipscomb University back when it was an NAIA school. And our basketball camps at that time, uh, we would have upwards of 5,000 campers a summer, you know, sometimes 800 to 1,000 campers a week. So I really got schooled on how to become a coach and um, really learned how, uh, you know, really all angles, you know, from on the court to setting up a, a business, you know, whether you're running a camp or distributing coaching material and, and all of that. And I got into high school athletics and, um, you know, thought that I was going to set the world on fire because I knew everything and quickly realized that I didn't. And, 
you know, so, you know, through, through all of that, um, you know, I, I, I was coaching ordinary players in an extraordinary uh, league, I guess you could say, you know, I, I would, I was having Juco players going up against, uh, you know, future NBA players. And so, you know, the, the records aren't always going to come out, um, you know, favorably on, on my side. And so I started, started looking at basketball more from, you know, a business aspect of it, which was, um, you know, getting into it from an entrepreneurial uh, standpoint, you know, running camps and uh, really, really, I, I guess you could say for profit because, you know, as a, as a high school coach, it's, you know, you're really doing it for a stipend. You're kind of doing it for the love of the game and uh, everything else like that. So, um, you know, the, the company that I work for, the, the express purpose of that was to help promote players uh, to get college scholarships. And, you know, over, you know, more than a decade that I work with that company, you know, we help promote thousands of players, you know, uh, help them, you know, get, get onto the, to the collegiate level. And at, at the very beginning, uh, I thought it was a, a really rewarding, you know, type job where, you know, we're actively, you know, participating in uh, the development and, you know, the exposure of, of athletes. But, you know, here as of late, uh, I've, I've noticed that, uh, you know, the world shrinks, social media, um, you know, becomes uh, a tighter and tighter thing. So uh, the, the, the need for, well, you can kind of look at it both ways, you know, uh, there's not as much of a need for maybe a third party to promote athletes, uh, but then it becomes, uh, you know, less about promoting and, and more about, uh, I guess, marketing, I guess you could say. And that's, that's kind of where uh, our conversation picked up, which was, you know, at what point does um, an activity, you know, turn, uh, you know, an athlete into a commodity? And is that necessarily a bad thing? Yeah, I mean, so I, I I always think about you know sort of the three tiers of of um, of of essences we can say like you know we have morality virtues and principles and oftentimes you know we we can struggle between all three and and I think they tend to get muddled um, in terms of definitional uh, usage for you know, especially North America. You know, morals for me is, is something I don't really spend too much time on because morals tend to be effervescent. They, they change all the time. You know, what's what's moral today is immoral tomorrow and so on and so forth. Virtues tend to be a lot more idealized. That's something you shoot for, but you don't necessarily always, you, you oftentimes fall short of the mark. Where principles are something, something much more, in my view, much more uh, fundament, fundamental, much more bedrock. Um, and they're personal, so they're both objective and subjective at the same time. That's the power that they come from. Um, they can be informed by a culture and society, but they're often made uh, practical. The praxis is 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 personal. Um, so when we talk about commodification, you know, I think anyone has the ability to go out there and make their own business. You know, make you, you can make your own. You can make anything you do as a business you know we're doing podcasting which is mm -hmm. you know i'm not i'm not making money off it right now but it's not like it's not like it's, it's it's impossible to do so right there's a there is can be a point in which we will commodify this kind of product mm -hmm. when we start getting in 
getting further and further out in terms of um, uh, what we're commodifying, right? It's not just, uh, let's say, a work or a, a th- something that you're making. Like, you know, you're, you're farming cut flowers. So obviously you're bringing cut flowers to market. Mm-hmm. The flowers themselves are a product. You're selling those things. When we start getting into ideas um, or concepts like happiness, when we start to commodify that, then there's a dangerous precipice, I think, and a precedent that starts happening because to in order to in order to make money off the uh, off the uh, concept or the idea or the emotion, which is personal, we therefore have to start to commodify the people, um, and that's what I see is the sort of disturbing trend in modern society is that we're making people into products, yes, to sell products to people, and it's this weird, never-ending loop. Right, because it's again, we're not. We're now we're dealing with non. You know, we're de- we're dealing with something that isn't uh, a commodity. Like it's not a it's not right. a manufactured good. You know, it's not something tangible. Uh, what what's the uh, what's the quote? Uh, often when when something is free, uh, that that means that means that you're the product that's being bought mm-hmm. and sold. You know, um, exactly. When you when you go to uh, that that timeshare, um, uh, what what is it? Uh, they're trying to pitch you on a timeshare, you know, they're saying, Hey, it's, you know, it's a free here, come get a free lunch and, you know, sit through this PowerPoint. Well, you know, that's, it's not really free. They're, they're, they're hoping to turn you into the, to the customer, which, which is, I think what we see oftentimes in social media, you know, there is no upfront cost, you know, to log into Facebook or to Twitter, Instagram. Uh, but they're, they're looking to, they are really commodifying our attention, uh, you know, for their own ends. Yeah. So, so when you get into something like happiness, you know, uh, you know, America is based on that pursuit of happiness idea, which I think is, is, you know, uh, one of the fundamental flaws of, of mm. let's say, modern day liberalism. Because you're taking a concept, which is happiness, which is, what is that, right? It's a whistle, yeah. it's a wazzle, it's a, it, it, it's, right. it's, it's meaningless and yet has meaning at the same time, yeah. right? We all know what happiness is for us, but we don't know what it is conceptually for in a meta reality. Sure. And then, and now we're saying, okay, well, we, we're going to, we're going to pursue happiness. That's uh, one of the highest values in the society. So to go Girardian for a second, we're creating a desire for, for happiness. Mm-hmm. And yet there is no strict model for it. There are many models of, of who is happy. What is success? What is, is happiness success? Is it, is happiness a million, uh, a, a mansion? Is it, you know, a million dollar deal? Is it mm-hmm. Joe Rogan? Who, what, what is it? Who is it? Mm-hmm. Right. And because there's no def- definitive model for that, um, we end up creating multiple different little models, which can be advantageous or disadvantageous. It, you know, it, as much as it can create consensus within a, a society or a community, it can also create um, disparity. Because all of a sudden, and we can get into, into sports, you know, I'm old enough now, I'm 45 this year, I'm old enough just to remember when sports became, in the 80s, became something that was very few um, massive stars really happened out of sports. Like, you had a few. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you'd have some touchstones in the Olympics, and <clears throat> you'd have, you know, occasionally, like, a, a few big-name athletes. But they were relatively rare. Um, and then it became sort of this industry where, you know, it... it at first it was about superstars like Wayne Gretzky. Um, 
I'm going to def- I'm going to default to hockey probably sure. more than basketball because yeah. I don't know uh-huh. shit all about basketball. Uh-huh. But but um, but then you'll start, all of a sudden you started seeing like, you know, the Chicago Bulls yeah. became an industry. It wasn't just Michael Jordan; it was the entire franchise that became uh-huh. an industry. And I think that was a very new thing in the '80s, and it just has kept picking up steam. To the point where the NFL Super Bowl thing is is I mean it's out of control, practically, you know, pretty much. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, even before Jordan in the '80s, it was you know Magic Magic Johnson, Larry Bird. You know, it was this mm-hmm. you know kind of dual Celtics and Lakers um, you know rivalry. And and what I would say with basketball that is so fundamentally different than all the rest of the sports, uh, particularly with the NBA, is they market individuals, you know, more so than the team. And so with the NFL, they they are selling a logo, you know, the Chicago Bears or the Atlanta Falcons. You know, you root for your team year in and year out. Now, you know, there, there are some, you know, bigger than, than uh, sport names, you know, whether it's Tom Brady or Deion Sanders or uh, what, what have you, but generally with the NFL, you're, you're attached to a team. Whereas with the NBA, it, it becomes more and more, especially the younger generation follows, you know, the individual players, you know, you're, you're a LeBron fan, you're a Kobe fan, you're, um, you know, you're, you're, a, a Devin Booker fan and, and you follow those individual players, you know, around and you, kind of detach yourself from from any team loyalties which um it's to me it's a, it's a bit uh there, there's a lot of parallelism i i see um in that with you know our current culture of you know being hyper individualistic you know um breaking you know the constraints the the unchosen bonds uh if you will you know very rousseauian you know in, in a way where you know, an individual can can choose, like you say, um, his or her happiness. And um, so I see that being replicated uh, quite a bit um, uh, in our sports. And in particular, you know, what what I'm concerned about at, at the youth level is there is um, there is just this. Uh, the ideal is for, for the individualistic. It's, you know, it's all about individual goals. It's about um, gaining scholarships and it's, it's very inwardly focused. And um, I, I think that that, uh, you know, that kind of rhymes, it, it kind of uh, parallels what we see uh, in the rest of uh, Western culture. So what do you think basketball is different than other team sports? I'm, I'm interested with that. Um, you see a little bit of it in hockey, um, mm-hmm. but I mean, people who love like Montreal Canadiens fans love Montreal Canadian the the team. Like it almost you know, they they have their favorite players on the team, and some players become sure. sort of like legacy players. But right. at the same time, it's about the team. Like you know, the, no one's like that that you know, no yeah. one stopped being a Montreal Canadiens fan when you know Patrick Waugh stopped being the goalie. Like you know, right. maybe maybe a few, but like really, you know. If anything, a lot of people just started watching Colorado at the same time. Uh huh. Um, yeah. So yeah. I'm interested to see what do you think? What do you? Why do you think basketball is different in that regard? So, I th- I think that 
basketball is the closest that you can get to uh, an individualized sport within a within a team construct. You know, football is is very much dependent upon how good your teammates are. Uh, Tom Brady is only going to be as good as his offensive line, his offensive coordinator, and how how good his his wide receivers are. You know, if if he has a bunch of bums in front of him, he's going to get sacked all the time, right? Um, you know, in, in baseball, baseball is, you know, if you want to break it down, it is an individualistic team sport because everything that, that occurs is always one-on-one. It's, it's a pitcher throwing, that's an individual skill, a batter, uh, swinging the bat, that's an individual skill, but it, it is kind of this network of individuals working together, you know, whether it's to turn a double play or, um, you know, or, or so forth. But basketball, I, I think there is something up, uh, about basketball that really attracts um, the sports fan because we all know that it takes a team to win. But I think that we like to we like to prop up this 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 uh, this hyper individualized, uh, you know, character that can kind of overcome and, and carry everybody, you know, on, on his back and, and see just how far, you know, one great man can, can, uh, can carry uh, a, a team, you know, Le- LeBron James had, you know, several, um, you know, postseason runs in which he had, you know, no all-stars around him and everybody just, you know, really just lapped that up. And so I think that, that kind of feeds into the to the American uh, psyche, the American spirit of, yeah, we're we're on this team, but it's going to be this. It's the closest that you can find in sport where you know one one person, one player can can totally uh, dominate and shift, you know, the weight of um, of the game. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I I I. Uh... I only had one friend, my my friend Brian, who was deeply into basketball, massive Raptors fan, and I tried, I, I kept trying, but I was like, I, it was just never, it never um, seeped into me, and I, and I don't know, I don't know why, because um, I like hockey and soccer, I watched a lot of that at that time, right? Um, you know, for me, fighting is is sort of the the purest sport there is out there because it, it, you put everything on the lines to. Mm two individuals who are putting everything on the line to to see who's the best you know who yeah. who's going to who's going to come out on on top and it's, it doesn't even mean they're the best uh, you know in all ways at all times it just means mm-hmm. that this in this contest there's going to be a winner and there's going to be a loser you know right um, which is i think you know when we let's, we can talk about sports in, in in sort of a more generalized term kind of zoom out a little bit um it it i think that that yeah sports uh have been for at least for a long time a mirror to cultural zeitgeist that are going on um within a society now you would when you, you sent me some stuff um before this conversation and you said that uh, you found that youth sports are on a trajectory as described below um one individual sports for recreation so the early 20th century sport. Yep. Two, sports become a product to be consumed by athletes and parents. See so mid-late mid, 20th century sports with summer camps, rise of collegiate sports. 
three, sports become an identity for athletes. See early 21st century sports with helicopter parents investing into training and specialization. Uh, and fourth, uh, identity politics, sorry, identity becomes uh, commodified and sold the to the athlete. Evolution of 21st century athlete, emphasis on, emphasis on earning a co college scholarship. This requires certain activities, training, travel, attending events, camps, social media presence. And five, finally, the athlete becomes a commodity that is bought and sold. We can see this mm. at the beginning of high, certain high-profile athletes being paid under the table to attend certain colleges. Uh, and the rise of professional sports is the end goal of commodifying the sport and the athlete. Um, yeah, this seems to be a more of a total package kind of uh, kind of concept, uh, where we're not just selling the people's ability to do a sport, but their ability to to sell a product. You know, um, which is the sport in general, but also I think people's desire for let's say a hero, let's say a, mm. um, someone who's exceptional, the exceptional human being, the Ubermensch almost, yeah, yeah. Um, and how successful they are at selling that product, uh, this ideal or idea uh, to the masses. Uh, because, it, you know, then we can get into stuff like egregores, which is something that's, you know, we take, we take a simple concept, which is just my team versus your team, uh, and we, we metacize that out to a point where now it's two angels fighting against each other. Uh -huh. these, these, these are two religious uh, movements attacking each other, and it's like who's who's going to win? You know, like mm -hmm. um, there, yeah, there seems to have, have been in that trajectory over the last, I would say, from, from, since since the nineteen eighties, and probably before that, and it's maybe it started in the seventies, where people start to really not just identify with the team, but identify with everything around that team and the sport itself you yeah know. there's so much that i want to respond to right there and i and i hope yeah, I, don't sorry, I, I throw it, a lot at it, the it, wall man no that <laughs> no this is this is really good you know the first the first is the 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 one the, the first idea is this is what is the purpose of sport and I always remember this analogy that my father gave to me or expressed to me when I was really young. Um, and, and my father, he's, he's a boomer. Um, and so he, my grandfather was a um, farmer in East Central Illinois and, and took 40 acres of, of cornfields and turned it into 2000, you know, so he was very much one of these, you know, uh, you know, self-made men uh, of, um, you know, I think what you would call the silent generation. And, you know, during that time, it was, you know, just um, what, what you off the tail end of the second uh, industrial revolution where, you know, he was he had tractors and radios, but the TV, you know, wasn't wasn't quite here. And, and my father um, and as he was driving me to baseball games, you know, for Little League baseball games, I remember him telling me that sport you know, for, for young people at that time took the place of chores. Okay. And that it used to be during the agrarian American society that, you know, children were there to milk the cows, you know, to take out the garbage, to burn the garbage, you know, do all of these things that were necessary to make sure that the, that the family household uh, survived and, and they were, you know, quite literally essential. Uh, but with, as technology uh, kept improving, 
there became a gap. And now you have these, these children and these adolescents that are essentially idle. You know, they don't have anything to do. And, you know, what, what he explained to me was, is like sports kind of fills the gap as to what children were supposed to do. And that made a lot of sense to me. And as our society and our culture continues to become, uh, I, I think some would say over-socialized and there's not that, that need, you know, to go out and collect the, uh, the chicken eggs and, you know, uh, you know, cut down the, the rye and barley, you know, in the, in the fall time. And it's like, what are, what are these children supposed to do? And the answer for many Americans has been, we'll get them into sports. And, and, and I don't think that that's inherently bad because when it is approached properly, sports, you know, it teaches, it teaches, you know, number one, children and, and adolescents, you know, how to discipline themselves, how to set goals um, and, and to, you know, work towards, you know, getting better and, and more specifically within a team, a teamwork setting, you know, how, uh, how to work with others and, and recognizing, you know, the hierarchy, you know, within, within the team, recognizing, you know what, I am not the best player on this team and it is not my role to shoot every time. Um, it is my role to, to do these, these other things. And, and once you understand what your role is and you work towards a team effort, you know, your team could, you know, potentially win. And, in that setting, it, it actually taught our, our youth a lot of very valuable lessons. Um, but, you know, as, as you described uh, at the very beginning there, there, there is a process of this, which is, you know, we recognize that we need to get our children involved in something, and then we begin to take it more seriously. Uh, and then we take, begin to take it really seriously to the point where, uh, you know, the, the identity of the child and sometimes even the family is this particular sport. And um, I, I think that uh, that's where we are, where unfortunately many athletes are now where they get to be 12 and 13 years old and they say, I'm a basketball player. That's exactly what I am. And that's what I have to do. And, you know, every, uh, you know, for some, it's, you know, all their time, you know, becomes invested into this, uh, into this activity. And there's, there's kind of a threshold where you begin to sell yourself, you begin to sell yourself for an idea, whether that's for a college scholarship, and, and for the, the most elite in in the space, you begin to sell yourself quite literally to the corporations, you know, with, uh, for, for advertising and, uh, at the college level, it is this NIL, the name, image, and likeness uh, package where, you know, corporations can now, uh, you know, start buying uh, an athlete and their, their social media brand. So um, it's, I can't say that sports is, you know, I'm not here to say that like sports is inherently evil. Uh, you know, I got here because of sports, but uh, I, I think that it's, uh, there's a disturbing trend uh, that I'm recognizing here. I, I see. I would say that the to, to go back to Girardi and stuff is it's how we it's it's the models of desire mm. that are that are sort of foundational, right? So 
if you have a model who is if and we can say not even just a model of it, like the individual who you're modeling yourself after i'm sure there's you know um uh, King James is is sort of a, a model for many young people who want to be a basketball player. They want to be they right. want to be him, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they use him as a, as a focal point. But there's also just the idea of of athlete, right? Where athlete fits into the hierarchy of 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 societal beings, right? Like yep. so, you know, obviously, you know, you, you say athlete and actor or celebrity um, occupies almost the same space, even if you're yes. relatively unknown athlete if you play for a big team right if you're if you're if you play for the nhl you play for the nba that's something right yep. like the you you've already acquired a hierarchical position a posi- sorry a position in the, in the hierarchy that is serves the same rare. purpose yeah exactly yeah um and so the the desire ch- turns from to be a good player to being someone who's playing on a big team and then all of a sudden to play on a big team there becomes all these other credentials right because right. the team is more interested in selling the team than it is than it has a responsibility to the players the players are just kind of the thing right you need you need yeah. players to make the team and therefore yeah. yeah there's players but it's the team that the brand that is that that is the most important thing because the brand goes on regardless of whether uh you know xyz players playing on there if we trade them or we uh or they retire or whatever have you the brand needs to survive so i think that has become the more interesting trend because in the, in the more meta sense the the model desire isn't just individual players playing well and the desire isn't just to play to be a great player uh it's the desire is to is to is to uh get that sort of spot in the hierarchy and maintain it and and in this world where we're talking about social media and and yeah you know one little screw up one little way you say something you know you appear on the wrong person uh you know uh you're not you know emphatically for the xyz thing that's you're supposed to be emphatically for for or against you know like if we see that we saw that with the china side stuff right mm-hmm. where you know people made comments about taiwan and all of a sudden got corrected yeah. very very quickly yeah <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So, so I want to I want to take what you're, you're talking about there with uh, the mimetic desire, because that is, I see this so often at the youth sports level. And if if you would humor me for a second, I'll I'll take you back in time here because the the whole realm of like um, youth sports, youth basketball in particular, used to be that the only place where uh, an athlete could play basketball would be with their school team. And if they were good enough, they'd go on to play to college. And then somewhere, and I don't know if AAU started in the seventies or the, or the eighties, um, you know, somewhere in there, AAU's kind of always been around, but it, 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 it had really been for, I would say like the, the top 1%, uh, the, the very elite of the elite, uh, at the, at the youth level. But then, what happened was much like you you mentioned mimetic desire so if it's just for the one percent the other 99 percent began to look at this this opportunity you know for for the very elite uh that that went and you know maybe played a couple of weekends of you know kind of closed circuit uh, uh tournaments 
And they said, we, we want in on this. And, and AAU said, great, let's do it. And they expanded uh, their brand to, you know, each state had a couple of different AAU teams. And so now what you would look at is, you know, maybe 20% of the athletes at the youth level were playing AAU, but then always what happens, it never just stays in that way. Now you have 80% that are on the outside looking in saying, well, I think that I am good enough to play on this elite circuit. So, so what happens once again? Well, it expands once again to, you know, what, what we now call uh, travel basketball. And, and, and uh, th this is what we see across sports. You know, there's, there's travel baseball teams. There, there are uh, uh, travel. You, sorry. Hot, hot, yeah. I was going to jump in there. Can you, can you give a definition of that? Cause I remember you, you mentioned that in your notes and I'm like, what the fuck do you mean by travel baseball? baseball? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I remarked, yeah. I'm like, I was going to like, Jonathan, what the hell do you mean? Yeah. 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 So this is, so this is something that, you know, probably the average person doesn't, doesn't understand, which is, there, there is a dividing line between, so there are school sports and then there is what we would call the, the private uh, sports realm, uh, you know, quite, quite literally in economic terms, uh, like put the, the public private distinction, you know, so you go and you play for your high school team, or you can come over and, 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 and players do both things. Okay. But in this private sector, uh, they will quite literally start their own teams and start their own leagues. It's, it's uh, so, okay. So how does that make, how does that, um, cause I always, always think about like, you know, a professional and amateur, right. That right. would always be the two t major terms. Sure. Everyone was amateur until he went pro and, and, right. and I, I almost always didn't understand even the, the distinction, like how, a uh, <laughs> Olympic athlete is am is an amateur, right, but yeah, right. like a pro wrestler is a, a pro. <laughs> You're like, right. oh, okay, <laughs> sure, right. sure, right. Um, but uh, how does how does travel base how does travel X travel yeah. sport uh, travel fit sports. into yeah travel? How does that fit into that amateur sure. professional, or is it is it a completely new distinction between the two things? They are technically still still supposed to be amateur. Okay, so they're not getting paid uh to to play necessarily um although there there are stories that maybe i could tell you off off the air uh, to the contrary but um th these are these are windows and opportunities for athletes to play um in non uh, uh you know school sanctioned um uh you know sports teams so quite if, if you want to talk about like uh, anarcho-capitalism, you know, quite uh, quite explicitly, like the, the youth sports is a great example of anarcho-capitalism, you know, because it is not regulated uh, by the state. It's not regulated by a, um, a, a state governing body. It is, um, you know, quite literally there are groups of, of uh, athletes and their parents that uh, want to form uh, athletic teams together, and then they go around and they choose, you know, who who are they are, are going to play. It is uh, it is not a a top down kind of organized uh, thing. It is completely privatized, and it is um, uh, how how do I 
how do I describe this? It's completely voluntary. <laughs> I, maybe that's the best way to say. Well, it isn't. It isn't right because like, well, it's sold as it's the formalist uh, uh, idea would be it, that it's it's voluntary. At the same time, you know, if it's giving opportunities and advantages, right, that there other systems can't, then sure. I mean, we're not forcing you to do it, but you better do it. Like you might want to think about doing this. Well, the question would be, who is saying that? Um, is it the college coach uh, that that wants to recruit the player? Because I will tell you that, okay, so the, the evolution of youth sports has, has been this, is that actually all of the high school athletes actually want to play this, this travel sport um, activity. Why? Well, because they get to choose who they play for and who they play with. Uh, generally, it is a higher level of competition than maybe their, their high school team, um, you know, is. So it is, um, there is a lot of mimetic desire that that uh, that occurs here. There is a, a lot of replication um, of, you know, kind of following uh, the leader. Um, but, and, and yes, uh, college, coaches they have the most opportunities to to view and recruit uh these athletes during these uh you know summer basketball uh travel tournaments that did i did i explain that all right uh, for you i think so yeah yeah okay. i mean I, I i think of it's it's sort of like seeking advantage mm -hmm. in any way shape or form right anything that gives you an edge advantage anything that lets you train a bit more or play it at higher levels right um than let's say a high school would normally allow you to do if you're serious about about making this into a career you want all the advantages possible right because i right. mean especially with sports i mean the the downturn for sports other than let's say uh, just general entertainment is injury because you know you can be you can be as uh, the most amazing player in the world and you pull a hammy too many times and you're out you know you fuck up your yeah. knee and and you lose yeah. that 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 percentage edge to play to get to get noticed to get to to to, to go on to the next level sure. or play at, at that high level uh and then that's 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 done for you you know yeah. um so yeah I, I i get it i mean i think that what's disturbing in general especially when we talk about kids because you know and you're your father and you and you understand this i think is that you want to balance your children's let's say general happiness you know you always want your child to be happy you know, or, or generally happy i yeah. mean that's what we're we're told to want uh i'm a little bit different i'm like i'm like i don't care if my kids are happy i want you know, like i want them to feel joy and sorrow yeah happiness is whatever that's up to them right uh, i'm not here to provide happiness i'm here to provide stability and a few other things yes um that's a so, really important distinction right there which is uh what i would call like an oversaturated uh, an oversaturated life where if you just feed your kid kids fast food every every day they're not going to be healthy but they may they may get that you know that that quick um they may be happy in the moment it's not going to be lasting happiness though yeah i mean and this is kind of my thing about i i and maybe i've always been like this but but i've more or less formalized it it's like happiness is completely overrated to me yeah um you know happiness is a 
it's, a, it's that little dopamine hit. It's candy, right. you know. Right. Uh, to me, it, it's it's like okay, you're happy. Well, what the fuck does that? I don't know. What does that mean? Yeah. It makes yeah. you happy. Okay, fine. I mean, are, are you doing anything with it? Is it foundational to you? Or are you blown away? Were you, you know, like uh, does it does it transform your way of viewing the world? No. Well, then. I guess. I mean, whatever. <laughs> like, I'm not trying to take away from anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think it's a bad way to build your life on a foundation of 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 yeah, you know, fast food and 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 candy essentially, yeah. uh, emotional candy. Because you're going to get to a point where even whatever makes you happy now eventually is not going to make you happy in the long term. It's 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 that law of diminishing returns. Right. I don't think, for example, with sports, anyone prepares people for life beyond sports you know you you take a young person and you know from the age of i don't know let's say 10 you know um and start because they have they show a little bit of promise and then structure their entire life around that sport you know that athletic uh, uh, you see this with with olympic athletes i think the most where they just hyper specialize in this thing that outside of the olympics is Meaning, like, I don't know what people with discus skills do. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> what do you do after that? Fuck if I know. Like, you know, it's do you go be a coach? Well, how many coaches do you need for for discus or track and field? I mean, track is I think bigger, but but okay, what do you go do to it after that? Like, it's a very specific skill that that I don't think transfers beyond that, and especially now that we've made it about not just about being athletic and being a great athlete and learning all the other things you can learn from a team sport, say, or, or, or competition in general. Yeah. But now that we've moved it into desiring to be a celebrity or desiring to be uh, something beyond just pure athleticism, that's where we start getting into, into, into situations where it's like, well, you can't, you can't get that rush from anything yeah. else. No, what 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 you said right there is, I I think the dividing line where, if you're playing the sport to maximize and and to learn the values, I I think for me in my mind it makes sense when, when sport is just it's something that you do, but it's not, it's not who you are, right? Um, And and back to this idea of specialization, one one book that. I tell everybody that I come in contact uh, with when we're talking, you know, these subjects, uh, a, a book that completely transformed my my perspective is a book uh, called Range. It says, Why Generalists Triumph in a Specialized World, uh, uh, authored by the name of uh, David Epstein, uh, the, uh, the good Epstein, not uh, not the bad Epstein. Uh, that but name, re- that name's becoming like Hitler, like just like just exactly. Don't. If your if your right. last name's Epstein, just change it. You just, change it, right? Yeah. But his his entire book was uh, basically to you know puncture the myth of well, if you think that you've got this prodigy prodigy kid at seven years old that you got to put a golf club. You know, Tiger Woods is really. He's the anomaly. Anomaly. He is not the the rule. Um, you know, when it comes to the gr- whether it's in sports or whether it's in art or music or uh, architecture, whatever it is, the the people that uh, typically um, do do the best or reach the highest heights are are the ones that have such a varied 
range of uh, of experiences, and um, and and that's that's what I see. I every time I see uh, our um, our friend Cyprian on on social media, I, I think about him is the fact that he's had such a wide range of varied experiences. It's it's really no uh, surprise to me that he he is doing what he is doing right now because he's able to draw upon you know such uh, you know different different uh, uh, pockets of knowledge, and it's really that synthesis of of knowledge that uh, really gets to greatness as opposed to just being this. Uh, really uh, specialized, uh, you know, smart person in just one area. Yeah, I mean, and also it's, sorry, I'm just scrolling down here. Um, it's it's a fundamental flaw, I think, in, we, we can see obviously more, more clearly in sports, um, but I think it's happening all over society. Like, um, you know, we can see with OnlyFans, we can see it with, uh, uh, you know, even YouTube uh, podcasting stuff, you know, if you put all your eggs in that basket, especially as a young child saying, I'm going to be a video game streamer. It's like, okay, great. But you know, your, your whole existence is a third party existence. Yeah. Like you don't get to set those terms. Mm. Uh, you know, you are, your whole, uh, ability to succeed or fail is resting on a, on a, on a platform. So if Twitch goes away tomorrow or, yeah. Uh, right. You know, or if the game you play is not is no longer fa favorable, um, you know, just to to use that example, then then where, where then where you're at, like, what else can what else can you do, kid? Uh, yeah. And and there's generally speaking no answer because what they're chasing, and it's interesting to see, someone said this recently, uh, uh, which I found really fascinating, is that. The, the new generations, uh, I think starting with millennials, but cer certainly going down to, um, what are they calling them now, like Zoomers or whatever, whatever uh -huh. the freaking term is, is they're no longer chasing money. Like money isn't isn't the thing they're chasing. It's status. Yes. Uh, and once you yes. start seeing that, then it's like, oh, that makes sense. Because if it's mm -hmm. money, you start, you start saying, okay, well, you know, you want to, you know, increase your chances of making money. And so you might have multiple skills. But if it's status, status is a one, right. it's a one positional thing. Right. So you, you gain status as being the best or the most popular or the uh, most outlandish or X, Y, Z. And if you fall from that status point, there's almost no way for you to make it back. Like very few people can reinvent themselves and and become a new thing like there's you know we talk about michael jordan or or wayne gretzky or a few of these other guys who who aren't just great players they they became great business people they yeah. they they existed outside of their role in the team or sport uh they became spokespeople they became whatever right sure um they set the trend to being something bigger than the sport at the same time very very few people can ever do that and 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 do that for any period for any length of time yeah like it's, it's an insane it's an insane desire that it, when you when you vocalize it and you were telling people like so so what you're trying to do is <laughs> you're trying to you're trying to build a brand that exists outside of the sport that you become a brand onto yourself right and and become like this some sort of like micro mega business that <laughs> that is that is that is you know wayne gretzky or or I don't uh, pick your player, right? Yeah. Uh, that is so rarefied 
it's just ins- that's it's, that's an insane desire to even attempt to do um, uh-huh. but yet that seems to be the one that you know from everything from um from sports to to online prestige to all these other things that seems to be the driving force yes and Another thing to to tack on to that thought right there is if you'll notice, each one of these guys that you're talking about has a logo, has an icon that is attached to himself. You know, Jordan with the, you know, the legs spread apart. And I don't know what Gretzky's logo was, but, you know, Kobe had Kobe Bryant had his own, uh, you know, kind of icon. And so what what I'm identifying in in youth sports in particular is it's just it's uh you know just hyper speeding up this process of really self-worship i that's the only way that i can uh, describe it uh attached to your uh your observation of mimetic desire it is this desire to really worship oneself and in the midst of all of that we have all of these outside forces, you know, whether it be collegiate or corporate, uh, that, that really want to, you know, buy this, you know, really buy this desire and then, and then sell it out. And, and what, what I see in the process of that is, is exactly what we started our conversation with, which is, uh, really the commodification of, of sports. And that ultimately it is the individual player that is being bought and sold here rather than it being a, an individual that is a part of a, of a greater whole that is, you know, working towards some greater purpose. Now it is, I am going to choose my team. I am going to choose my brand. I'm going to I'm going to choose all these things, you know, so that, like you say, I can uh, elevate myself to, uh, uh, you know, kind of a uh, a form of uh, celebrity, uh, if if you will. And I think that just kind of inverts what sports is is supposed to be about. Okay, so do you do you see any way back? Is there, huh. or, or or you know, I think we're big. Uh, I'm big into sort of parallel worlds where right. generally conversations like, well, how do we fix this? And it's like, okay, well, hang on. Instead of trying to fix that, and maybe there is a way to fix it. I don't yeah. know. But I'm more interested in creating a parallel, right? Saying like, sure. okay, this exists and this is bigger than me or you or anyone else involved in this. Like not, we're not going to make a dent in that. What we can do is, is create a parallel where, where that exists and something else can exist. So mm-hmm. maybe let's spend some time thinking, spitballing that concept. Like how, especially with kids, because I think honestly, um, sports tends to be a very father and father and child, father and son kind of kind of yeah. thing. Traditionally, father and son, but it, it, it doesn't have to be, you know, uh, father and daughter. Father but, and daughter can be, yeah, yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. But it, the father tends to be the one who gets you first hook. I was going to ask you that at the start and I, I went a different way with it starting, but do you remember when you first got interested in sports? Like, do you remember um, like what interests you or, or how you got first and introduced to it? Yeah. I mean, I was a boy and, and, you know, um, there, there were balls, you know, around the house and I would throw balls and, you know, and it just, it never even seemed like there was even a conscious choice. It was just something that uh that i was attracted to um 
And yeah, my parents, you know, provided opportunities for me, you know, uh, drove me back and forth to, to practices and such. Uh, wh one of the, um, the earliest stories that my father tells about, about me and, you know, my short uh, live run as an athlete was we were at this funeral and somehow or another, there was like this toy football. And I looked at this other like baby girl or something. And I threw the football and hit her like right in between the eyes <laughs> and, and made the, made the girl cry. And, you know, so my dad at that moment knew that like, I was going to be, I don't know a uh, baseball pitcher or something who, who knows, but um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Like it, you know, I grew up on a farm, you know, we had lots of yard and uh, yeah, it's, it's, that's a really interesting question because, you know, we, we live in such this like rationalist world and we think that, uh, you know, there's just always this conscious decision to do a, B and C when in reality, like, most of the stuff that we do, like it's just, it just kind of flows, right? Yeah. I mean, that's when that's been sort of my um, journey over the last two years. I mean, we're really where it started um, was after the birth of my daughter and, and, and trying to go back to, okay, where does, you know, pinpointing things that I wanted to change in my personality or, or address. And it's like, where does this start from? Like, where was the starting point? Mm -hmm. Where can I, where can I at least consciously go back to going, okay, well, this is where this started and, and how to unwind. So it's almost like tangled, right? Uh, you know, earphone cords, like, okay, how do we untangle this yeah. fucking thing? Um, so that's, that's been a motivating factor in, and it's for it's what brought me to Girardian uh, ideas. Cause it's like, once you extend that out beyond the person between, you know, your own individual mess, you look for a solution, you look for things that start to explain the whole morass of things mm. and once you get to the desire to to mimetic desire it's like oh well that explains everything because because you and i don't know what to want most times yeah. like yeah or right you know, when we're starting out as a child and, and as a father you, you you'll see this your child just mimics you like they don't know yes. why yes they don't know what's in the cupboard they just know that you go there so obviously right. there's something interesting in the cupboard you know right uh and they start to mimic you on every level uh so you have to be very careful what you what you put out there but indeed but once you once you start seeing that it's like oh okay this is where desires come from this is mm -hmm. where what you want is based on what you see other people wanting and 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 how easily that can be manipulated but also how how much power you can return to yourself by simply going oh well look i just i need to be in control of of what I desire. Sure. Know? And now that you, you frame it that way and, and that makes so much more sense. My, my two uncles were college basketball players uh, on my mother's side and they Bingo. were always, you know, elevated, you know, in this, in the sense of, and they were tall and, you know, they were handsome and they were good shooters and all of that, you know, good basketball, you know, shooters. And, and my father, my father was not athletic at all. Um, but he was always around, um, sports, you know, he was, a, he was a table tennis player. And, um, and I think that he also had a, I, perhaps a desire for me to want to be, you know, an athlete or perhaps even to, to do some of the things that he wasn't able to do because whether it be physical limitations or, or just opportunity. So, yeah, I think 
that that explains you know quite quite a lot as to you know how I got here. So so let's let's let's, let's expand on this as we're we're reaching the hour mark. Um, so maybe as a final final idea is like so to create that parallel, you know, to say yeah, like a right. book. Uh, and I don't know if you agree with me on that, but but um, I think that trying to change. Um, foundationally uh, professional sports would be like okay <laughs> go storm that mountain right, right. Uh, right. i don't know what you want to do with that yeah uh and i'm not saying they can't change but i think it, it will change because other people will see another system being desirable and they'll want that more than the current whatever sure. it is but to create I, that I, parallel sorry yeah go ahead no no i was just going to say like At one level, I think professional sports is designed to commodify the, the the player. Like, it's supposed to be that way. And I'm not really interested in arguing, like, whether or not um, that's good or bad. I, I just kind of see it as is. What I am more passionate about is, you know, at the youth level, I don't think that it is healthy for you know, our youth number one to be, you know, so uh, wrapped up in, in be making at, uh, athletics or uh, one sport, you know, uh, uh, you know, their, their entire identity. Now, in terms of parallelism, I'm, I'm right in tune with what you're saying. And what does that look like? The, the problem with this is there, there's an inherent, like, this is a self-defeating system you know because if if you the current system is always going to win because the best players are going to be in that system and they are going to work so hard at it that they're always going to get to the top you see so if we create an, another system you know whether it's with lesser players or you know players that have different different goals you know, if it, if it is about uh, mimetic desire, we would have to find particular players that does, first of all, desire something different than what what uh, the current system has. And so I don't know how to short circuit that. You understand? Yeah. No, exactly. I mean, I don't think we're going we're going we're going to come up with an answer on the fly. I think it's a it's right. a massive it's a massive question. Because right. uh, we have to find, yeah, like you said, you have to find models to to model the desire, and mm -hmm. I don't know what that desire, how to articulate that desire, because right. if you know, because and I think that's the, and you're right, I don't think commodification in and of itself, if it's knowledgeable, if you know what you're doing and getting right. into, right, I don't think there's a uh, a good, bad, or it's it's relatively a neutral tool. It's a hammer, you know. Yes, uh, but. I think that, and what we've talked about here, I think a lot of people getting are getting into this without understanding even what they're desiring to begin with. There we they, go. <coughs> they can't articulate that even that desire, uh, you know, as an a priori statement, mm -hmm. and then they get sucked into everything else because because they they might actually think I just want to be a good basketball player. Right, and then the next thing you you know you fast forward seven years and all of a sudden you're 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 on Instagram and you're posting all these these photos with um, you know talking about how many offers that you have trying to trying to generate attention for yourself trying to um, 
doesn't doesn't Gerard talk about like the the double desire where um, you know you're desiring something but uh, you want to create uh, somebody to desire you all all at once? Yeah, well, I mean, this is just basically what Mises is all about, right? Because you, right. you're chasing you're chasing a desire that is desirable, right? So right. it's something that you don't you're looking for value. What is valuable in society? You're right. told that this is valuable, so you go, I, I got to do that. And then once you're once you're doing that, then it becomes a bigger a bigger question. Like it's not just how do you acquire it, but how do you make yourself desirable to others? Because right. because right. that's part of the commodification process. Right. If the desire is only to be a great athlete, well, that's one thing, right? Um, you know, a pure sport, uh, kind of a the kind of thing. And maybe, and maybe that is the parallel. Maybe the parallel is to create a desire for pure sport, in and of itself. Sure. And to be regarded as the best pure sportist possible. I think yeah. it was kind of what the Olympics was supposed to be. Right. It's creeped into the Olympics as well, where you know you have you know celebrity Olympians for at least for. For a little bit of time and then they you know fade off and go away sure um and some can retain that 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 rub but yeah. you know uh yeah I, I, I think that if we simplify the desire and be and just become honest about it um then we can maybe make change or 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 at least investigate other desires within the heading of let's say sports mm -hmm. because as long as we're, we're we're doing this sort of dishonest shell game of saying right. like, no, just the most thing the thing you have to desire is being a great player, but actually what you have to desire is being a celebrity. Yeah, that's two different. Those are two yeah, right. different things. Fun, it's hit, uh, yeah, it's embedded. Right, it's embedded there. Right. Yeah. All right, John. We're up to an hour. Uh, my daughter's awake, so we gotta cut this. Cut I hear this that. It's She's been good thing. though. She's been good. <laughs> so it's good. Yeah. Uh, any last words, any last thoughts, anything you want to tell people where you're, where you're at and uh, where they can find you. Sure. Thank you, Jason. Uh, thanks for having me on. Um, I'm My on, pleasure, man. This is a good conversation. Yeah. Uh, I'm on Twitter at JL underscore Hemingway. And uh, that's Hemingway with one M. And um, that's the best way to, uh, I also have another Twitter at coach Hemi, H E M I. Um, I follow back on uh, that account to everybody. So if anybody wants to reach out and message me directly, that's the best way uh, to do it. I have other uh, social medias, Instagram and so forth, but I don't really uh, keep up with that so much anymore. So Twitter is the best way to get a hold of me. I got a website, coachemmy.com. I spent, spent years uh, putting together coaching notes and play diagrams. That um, was kind of a uh, early entry into uh, basketball entrepreneurialism, I guess you could say. So if anybody is into that type of thing, check me out there. Thanks again, Jason. My pleasure, man. Thank you very much. Uh, of course, always we have the weekly show. We have uh, special guest spots. We have the friend or fed uh, episodes, which are, which are doing quite well. Uh, you guys can check that out. Please like subscribe and share and comment on the section below uh, wherever you're hearing this or viewing this. It always helps the channel. We're trying to get to a thousand subs on YouTube because why not? Let's do it. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, you know, it's a bucket list kind of thing. There we uh, go. Thanks, John. Uh, appreciate it. It was a great conversation. We'll uh, we'll do this again hopefully sometime soon. Thanks, Jason. My pleasure.